How's naps in 2018? I'm I'm thinking of getting heavy into naps. Are you? It's because I'm I'm a little tired right now. I think I have devolved to the Sunday afternoon naps. Ooh, that sounds good though. That sounds pleasant. Yeah, it's it's nice, but I miss my daily naps. <laughs> <laughs> daily nap? That just sounds decadent, man. There's something. It does. There's something really luxurious about that. I appreciate. Is that what you're working towards? I don't think so. I think I'm. I'm much too caffeinated at all times to actually get a nap in, but it just sounds pleasant. It just sounds like a good thing to 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 incorporate into a routine. You know what I'm saying? Early afternoon espressos don't do well for naps. Just gonna say. No, they're they're really kind of the antithesis of each other in in a very real way. <laughs> How much coffee do you consume in a normal day? Really and truly, almost every day I have a single espresso. So not not much. But it's just been kind of rainy here lately. And so it is one of those things where if I'm feeling really tired and it's only, oh, 1130 in the morning, I will take a uh, a second coffee. But usually I try not to keep too much caffeine in my system because I feel, I feel overly jittery when I have a lot of caffeine going through me. And I also try not to ever get too dependent on it. I don't know how you are about it, but I had read somewhere a long time ago that if you have coffee as soon as you wake up in the morning or maybe within that first 30 minutes or an hour, you start to gain a dependency on it that you wouldn't get if you let your body just do its normal wake-up routine. I think the study was alluding to the fact that that caffeine or that jolt of alertness that the caffeine provides will actually kind of tell your body, oh, I don't need to make the normal things that would wake this person up. They've, they've been supplementing it just fine, and that creates a real dependency. So I typically don't drink coffee until an hour or two into my day, and then I typically just drink the one. But that doesn't always work out that way. I must have read that study because I've, I've always tried to make sure that it's at least one hour after I've awakened for the day yeah. before I dip into my, my morning coffee. Yeah, what is what is Joe's morning coffee? Is it a, is it a pot? What, what kind of coffee do you like? Uh, French press. Hmm, that's pretty nice. Yeah, I've got a... Uh, oddly enough, a manual coffee grinder. Okay. And about every four days, I will grind enough coffee for four days. You know, do the math. Mm-hmm. And in the morning, you know, one of the first things I do when I come down the stairs is start the pot of water, tea kettle, and prep my coffee grounds in the press. And when the coffee is boiling, I pull it off the heat, let it cool a little bit, soak my grounds, push the pressed. After four minutes, and I'm good to go. That's my morning coffee. Hmm. Do you do you source your beans from anywhere in particular, or do you just buy something from the store? I do. I have there's a there's a guy that does some he does custom roasting, and it's his location is less than a mile from our front door. Nice. He gets his beans from a variety of places, but primarily South America. Cool. But he he does some blends and some uh, a variety of things. But yeah, we get him we get them from him. It's nice because. He has a website that I can order from, and whenever I order it, he then roasts what I order the next morning. Oh, great. So it's very fresh. Yeah. So whenever I pick it up, it was roasted usually like an hour before I picked it up. <laughs> so it's it's a pretty cool deal. Man, food in your household sounds better with every conversation that we have. Fresh baked <laughs> bread, newly roasted French press coffee. Yep. I mean, it sounds like you guys are luxuriating in your... In your morning routine. I just watched a movie called The Phantom Thread. Okay. Daniel Day-Lewis is the main star of the film. He 
was uh, in There Will Be Blood and Lincoln and quite a few different films. This is actually allegedly his final role. He's going to retire after this movie. Yeah, that never sticks. Well, this guy, I don't know if you know anything about Daniel Day-Lewis, but this guy was really sought after for the movie Gangs of New York, which was a Martin Scorsese film. Okay. And Martin Scorsese kind of wrote the main role for him, went to cast him, couldn't find him, searched all over for him, found out that he had left acting behind and had become an apprentice shoemaker in Europe somewhere <laughs> and had kind of dropped off the face of the earth. And Martin Scorsese had to like beg him to come back. Wow. So that's nuts. It's possible that this is a real retirement. All right. All right. He's a very peculiar actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually when I hear those things, I have flashbacks to Michael Jordan. So <laughs> no, no, right. no, this is this is an entirely different beast. And I, I only bring this up because the movie takes place in the 1950s. It's sort of about this man who's a very famous fashion designer in London. And the entire movie, I just was fascinated by his morning routine. Right. <laughs> Especially after we had just talked about ours. Because the the movie uh, really makes him out to be this very fastidious, very heavily routined person. And they show him every day waking up and brushing his hair with two brushes, one in each hand, and putting on this face cream and putting on his suit and tie before anyone else arrives or anyone else is even awake. And then sitting at this breakfast that was scones and coffee and tea and porridge and fruit and bread and all kinds of different things and i thought man that is that is a morning routine for the books right there i i wouldn't mind having a a big hearty breakfast section in my morning routine talk because right now uh that is <laughs> not the case <laughs> what do you do for breakfast then like if, if that's so appealing what is, you must be like grabbing a cracker and walking out the door yeah i mean i just i do not think through food very well ever it's kind of a tertiary priority in my life, which it shouldn't be. It's one of those things. I was just having a conversation about that today with somebody. Food's important and you have to have it every day. But uh, I typically just make a, a little protein shake smoothie or a protein bar or <laughs> things that have protein in it. Yep. <laughs> and that's the, the whole morning deal. Uh, the, the, the espresso is much more important to the routine than the actual eating a food part. And Got it. I should probably change that. <laughs> I'm a big fan of eggs in the morning, and I eat breakfast twice. So I I do usually two eggs. Sometimes I'll grab a banana with that uh, first thing, and then when the girls get up, I'll have uh, a couple pieces of toast with some peanut butter on it. So those are what I normally do. But we get kind of picky with the eggs just because I grew up on a farm and know too much. Mm. <laughs> like that, that'll destroy your mentality yeah uh so we have a we have a local gal who raises chickens and ducks and geese and such so we get eggs from her and you know here's an example this morning uh i didn't have two eggs i had one however it was a goose egg so it was quite large <laughs> <laughs> that is that is not the norm I no. think that you are maybe, yeah, a rarity in having a goose egg for breakfast. That's that's pretty cool. Speaking of our morning routines, we had a little bit of follow-up on that from friend of the show, Chris Bowler. He had brought up the concept of spiritual morning practices, which was kind of interesting. I was very excited to see some of Chris's conversation that he brought up because he reached out to the two of us. Uh, with an email and was asking some follow-up questions, which were very interesting. You're like, okay, where is 
you know, where is your faith in your morning routine? Because a lot of people, you know, in Christian circles, that's like the primary time that people bring up that that's when you sit down and read the Bible. That's when you sit down and pray. And those are things that we didn't really cover. Like I, I mentioned that I do some Bible reading and then it was kind of in passing and moved on uh, from there. But that was partially because I think we were just going through the routines and weren't diving into uh, the spiritual side of it. One of the most interesting things that came out of that conversation with Chris was that it really made me recognize that one of my favorite things about morning pages for me has been that it actually has been the implementation of a spiritual routine in my life that has stuck much more than any other place. And it's it's actually been just a, a really unique and very nice new part of my mornings because I see it as really a way for me to spend time in prayer. We'll have to we'll have to link over to the thing that Chris Bowler wrote about his routine and the, the the spaces that he was talking about because it was an interesting question. And anyone who is trying to consider what their own faith looks like in regards to their routines, I, I think it's definitely worth a read. I agree. Kudos to Chris for for instigating that. You know Last time that we talked, one of the things that we touched on very briefly was the concept of not quite annual goals, but New Year's resolutions and all of those types of conversations. And I came around to saying, I don't really have them. I try to center a year around something, but I don't really ever have necessarily a resolution to do something or a goal. And at the same time, I don't think that you really did either. Is that correct? Well, I do. Like I do the twelve week year bit, right? Where you're setting goals for three months, but this is this is a good question to ask because it, it's something that I have struggled with for a long time. So I've debated dropping mine, yeah, and and trying to do something different, yeah. And so this is just this weird thing where, as I was thinking about it, and you know, it's a new year and some new stuff's coming up, and I've been freelancing for a whole year now, and it's been going pretty well. So I want to continue doing that. Happy birthday, thank you. And it's it's definitely time to step that up a little bit and figure out what's next and how to how to kind of ramp up production because I could definitely do more than I'm doing now. And I started kind of falling back to, all right, well, I should probably write out some goals. And I don't believe we've talked about this, but that was actually a big part of the last place I worked. We worked on semesterly goals. At the beginning of that time period, you would write up some goals, share it with the person that you worked for that was kind of over your department. And then at the end of the that time period, you would go back over those goals and hopefully you would have gotten a lot of them done. And that, that was a pretty great way. I'm an achievement-oriented kind of person, so I, I've always liked goals. I like hitting goals. I like hitting more goals than everyone around me. <laughs> you know, all that, all that fun stuff. Uh, and as I was sitting here and thinking about whether or not I should create some, I just had this weird kind of thought run through my head where I said, "Is it even good to have goals?" And I, I don't know. I, I just. I started kind of thinking through whether or not I was happy about them. And and the reason I think my gut didn't want to make goals is because for some reason I've started to associate having a goal with failing at meeting a goal. And I, I don't know. I I don't really have the full words for what I'm feeling, but there's something about that that doesn't feel right to me. You know, I haven't had goals for a whole year. This whole year I've just been kind of flowing freely and it hasn't worked out terribly. 
And there was something inside of me that said, ooh, are you sure you want to bring that aspect back into your life? So yeah, I was curious to hear how goals have worked for you. I feel like goals are one of those things that everybody tells you you're supposed to have. Like, <laughs> you read all the books and that's what everybody spells out. Like, Here's the magic answer to how your business right. can be successful. Set your goals and hit them. Like that's <laughs> like, okay, really? Okay, great. Sure. And like, even I, like I run goals and have for the last year and a half on a quarterly basis. And although I feel like that has been the better route to go quarterly, because the problem I kept running into was the annual goal thing. And like, great, but by the time the end of the year comes around, I've changed my goal three times because <laughs> circumstances change and I just don't follow through with it. And even with, even with the 12 week year, you know, working through that every three months, I still end up changing what it is I'm working on, you know, a couple months in. I don't know that I have an answer to this just because I feel like the process of me changing it kind of defeats the purpose. Right. But like the benefit that that comes with it is setting goals forces you to set a higher level target that you're aiming at. And even if that higher level target keeps moving, that's fine. You're just continually redirecting your business and where you want it to go. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It just seems a bit odd that we call them goals and then change them. Like that's that's been my experience with it. I I think maybe the better way to handle it, maybe this is the way I should do it, is to, you know, set these higher level missions as opposed to goals and then just reevaluate them every week and, and just see, is that what I should be doing again? It seems like the goal process as we know it, it seems like it just doesn't work. It doesn't really work. I think it works for some people. I just think that for a lot of us, especially, you know, when you're a freelancer of sorts, it gets hard to figure out what those goals should be because so much of it is tied to what other people are sending your way. So I guess I'm with you. I'm not really sure what the answer is, though. What you said is even helpful for me because it's not that I am anti progress <laughs> right like yeah. obviously you know, it's it's great to have something that you're progressing towards and i i hope that the opposite of having goals is not me sitting around and not doing anything every day but i guess i just realized that for years and years and years i had been working off of goals where you know when you have them i don't know about you but when when you have goals that you're setting for a certain time period you you look at them often if i didn't look at them every day i was looking at them every week and kind of starting my week with oh okay well i said that i wanted to do this later and i should definitely do that but at the same time i have managed to not write a single goal for myself in a year and do a good deal of stuff and get a lot of work done and and start new things and i've never had the stigma in that year of feeling like I failed because I didn't meet a goal that I had set for myself arbitrarily. And it is this, it's this weird thing where there's there's really no difference between I wrote a goal and I decided to make progress. It's just a mental shift, right? But the goal thing has that weird problem of if you don't hit something, then you have failed. And I just don't know if that's necessarily the most productive way of thinking through the work that you're doing, especially if you have the time to do it yourself. Now, I think that there is definitely a place for goals in the world. Goals make sense for corporations, right? If you have a business that you're running, 
it's good to have a goal for that business and metrics that you're working off of and all of that stuff. And really what I'm talking about is more at that personal level, partially because of the freelancing, but partially because just in general, I don't know if that's necessarily the greatest idea. Yeah, I think there's a difference between trying to hit numbers and trying to develop systems. Like that's the challenge that I face because I could say I want to, you know, with the web development side, I want to complete 30 projects in 2018. Like I could say that. The trouble comes in when what if I get a single project that takes me 4 months? Right. Well, <laughs> then you're better off setting a dollar amount. Well, I could do that, but sometimes new things come up that allow me to do subscription-based systems as opposed to one-offs, and then those dollar amounts need to be number of subscriptions instead of total dollars. Like Those types of things happen so frequently that it, it doesn't make sense for me as a one-man show to to be working on those numbers. In that way, the difference comes in, I think, whenever you start trying to build, say, habits or structures that allow you to continue to accelerate and grow like that, I think, is where some of the disconnect can can come back together. Just because things like I can set up a habit of every Friday afternoon working on my own side projects. And if I do that across the period of three months, I may be able to kick out a new product and that could be a very big deal. That simple habit is the piece that actually matters. Trying to say, I'm going to release this thing at the end of three months. Like I could do that, but I'm going to stress about it more than if I'm just building the habit to get it done. Like, do, do you see the difference there? Like I'm not trying to uh, accomplish a task as much as build a uh, a recurring action that's happening. Totally. And I think that's even why I'm so fascinated with stuff like routine and habits and why I love talking to you about them on the show is because I see them as so much more valuable and helpful to me than setting an arbitrary goal. Because if I know that every morning I'm going to get up and write, well, I'm going to have a lot of writing at the end of the year, right? Instead of saying, I want to write 10,000 words or something, which I may or may not do. I, I, maybe that's even a good example of the disconnect is if I want to write goals for myself, I almost want them all to be built around habits or systems in my life, not about outcome or a unit measurement that I have decided that I'm going to aspire to. I guess I accidentally set some goals for myself if I, if I think about them in habits because I set the uh, goal for myself to do morning pages every day, right? I guess we could call that a goal, but I didn't think of it as a goal in my mind. I thought of it as a system that I was trying to work towards. So if I missed a day, I didn't feel that bad. I just thought tomorrow I need to start again, you know, and, and pick up the habit and, and build it even further. So, I mean, I guess it's just a, it's just a different way of thinking about it, but it just made me recognize kind of what you had said at the start of this, which is goals are the thing that everyone tells you to do. So you do them. And as I thought about it more and more, I just wondered if that was actually the right thing for me in this season of my life. I think I tend to tell people that should gets in the way of a lot of great things. Mm, yeah. it, it just does. Cause like with, you know, I used to run a, a whole podcast around 
or I guess kind of still do. I've got a few episodes to release on it yet, but um, had a podcast about goal setting right. and, and achieving goals. I'm like, okay, great. So I'm apparently someone who does this. <laughs> you are an expert. I guess <laughs> that's the theory, but it it's a thing that I've spent a lot of time with. And although that process of setting them and working through the accountable side of it, it, it does work. It's kind of a fear-based success of sorts. And it's just not fun to operate that way. And I find myself trying to get those goals done so that I can go do the fun stuff, even though the fun stuff is theoretically part of the goals. <laughs> it just is so odd. Right. I, I just, I see a lot of people who have asked me, you know, you should see the number of emails I get about goal setting. A lot of people say, this is a thing I want to do and I need help getting it done. Great. Why do you want to do it? Well, so-and-so is trying to help me accomplish this and setting the goals is the way that's going to help me accomplish that. Great. Why do you think the goal is the part that's going to help you accomplish that? Like, that's not the point. The point is the habit of when are you going to do it and are you going to do it repeatedly? Like, those are the pieces that actually get the the task completed. And that, to me, is much more valuable than saying, I'm going to grow my business 3x across the year. Like, yes, the habits that you're going to put in place may result in that, and that may be the measurement that you're trying to hit. But unless you're doing something daily every single day to accomplish that, it's just not going to happen. So to me, I find that the goals, if you want to call them goals, that actually get somewhere are these habits. And you know, just as an example, like one that I've set for myself across the next three months by the end of March is to get caught up on some of the household DIY projects that I have going on. But I haven't set like what that actually means. Like I'm not saying I'm going to finish this trim or I'm going to get this room painted. Like I'm not saying that. I instead said that I'm going to spend one hour a week working on this stuff. I don't know when that's going to happen per week, but that's something that I, it's, it's up to me on a Sunday to schedule when that's going to happen and, and do it. But it's designed to build that weekly habit, which could lead to much better things later on. But I think you get what I'm saying. Like the recurring action is the better goal to me. And that's not an easy thing to accomplish. No. Yeah, I actually I, I thought about this a while ago, again, due to my morning pages. One morning, I just ended up kind of writing out three pages of my ideal future system, like what would it look like if from the minute that I woke up, all of the technology, all of my habits were exactly as I wanted it to be? And it was a really cool thought experiment because it made me recognize, one, there are some things that I don't have in life right now that I should try to work towards. And two, that there were quite a few things that I could just do right now and I just hadn't really incorporated into my life. And one of those that really stuck out that I've been trying to start incorporating into my days is just a really sincere and good use of time blocking. So not necessarily like time tracking or or being really specific about it with, what is that called? Pomodoro? Pomodoros? Pomodoro technique of... I'm going to spend every minute of this hour working on this thing. L less specific to that extreme and just more, what if I really thought through how many hours I had in this day and I gave an hour to creativity, I gave an hour to 
photography. I gave an hour to working on this project. So I've done that a few times. And at the end of those days, I feel so much happier with the progress I've made just because of the intentionality of those systems that I'm putting into place and and working from. And I think that that's the kind of stuff that I really want to start incorporating into my life isn't, okay, I have the goal to work on this project and make it look like X by the end of the year. And just more simply, I'm going to dedicate time to this project on a daily or weekly basis and be very intentional about it. I think that's what I'm I'm recognizing really works well for me, but I've never really given that a proper shot. I recently read a book, 168 Hours. Did this prompt you? I feel like, because I know you listen to this, epi- the, the bookworm. Yeah, it's one of those weird things where I, I listened to that and it did help me think through the amount of hours that I have because that that's kind of the concept of the book, right, is you should be accountable for the amount of hours that you have. We all have the same amount of hours. Right. But at the same time, I mean, you came away with some mixed feelings about that book. Yes. I don't necessarily think that any of those thoughts in the book made me think, man, I need to reshape my day using this this technique. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely want to be more intentional with the amount of time that I have. Thinking through that time seems to be a much better system for making me feel a lot more productive and a lot more happy than just setting goals. So I, so I've been experimenting with the time blocking thing because I, I'm with you deciding when I'm going to do some things. It's a big deal. I, I mean, you, you think about it the same as what you do with finances. If you're good at managing your finances, you know how much you have coming into the bank and you dictate ahead of time where it's going to go and if you are doing the same with your time and you allocate what's going to go to what activity ahead of time, in theory, you end up with a much better week, uh, a much better day. And I, I've been experimenting with this kind of extreme time blocking process. And the intent of that is to help me set up more of these habits so that the things that I know matter in the long run, I can actually get done. And it's kind of been a disaster <laughs> to be honest just because I don't follow through with it like I just I'll have my like I'm looking at my calendar at the moment and all 24 hours are accounted for in something and it is rare that I will actually follow that time blocked day as I have it spelled out and I have yet to figure out why like that that's that's kind of my concern with it at the moment but I think here here's my theory I think it's because the way that I set this up was kind of as an ideal week with recurring events on my calendar so that it shows up every single week exactly the same. Because in theory, every week would be the same for me. Right. I know when I'm going to work on client projects. I know when I'm going to process email. Hopefully never. But, you know, I know when I'm going to do all (laughs) of these things. (laughs) Like my little plug. But the the thing there is that I... I know when all of this stuff should happen, but when push comes to shove and I'm looking at Thursday morning thinking I'm going to go get some stuff done at the church, knowing that I've got two client projects that are behind schedule this week, it's hard for me to say I'm not going to work on the client projects because I know that if I if I bust my tail and get those out this morning, I could take the entire day of Friday to do some stuff at the church and my own projects and not worry about it. Like I could do that. So I tend to move things around. Uh, day by day without <laughs> like, and the recurring event thing just makes it complicated whenever I do that. And, but t- 
to me, that's the ideal week that I'm trying to follow through on, but I don't do it. Well, and it, that's the moment when productivity meets reality, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. The ideal week sounds awesome, but the ideal week rarely happens that way. I mean, that was my exact experience this this morning before we started recording. And you'll laugh at this because it comes back to my care for food. But I kind of planned out the the way that I was going to be spending my morning up to the point where we recorded. And I recognized that I had never made any space for eating or cooking. <laughs> and my that disagreed with my wife's schedule, who did want to have food <laughs> and yep. did care about that. So, yeah, and I think for me, that's the thing is I tried that once at a point. This was sort of a few years ago, maybe only a couple of years ago, when I started seeing a lot of articles popping up about don't work off of a task manager, work off a calendar. And those people that were writing those articles made great cases for, hey, you don't have as much time as you think you have for the tasks that you've written out today. So why don't you just work off a calendar and block time off and call it good? And I thought, wow, that, that's a really great idea. I should totally try to do that. And I did what you did, which was create an entire full day where from morning to night I had everything planned out. And then as the day actually happened, none of that stuff worked out the way that it did. And yeah, that's reality is that's never going to be as ideal as you'd hope it is. So for me, the way that I've been doing it, which has been excellent so far, is let's say that I have, I don't know, six hours. Let's just, let's just pick, you know, six hours free today where I know that no one's going to need me for six hours. What I'm typically doing in that time period is I'm giving three of those hours blocked time and just calling the other three free <laughs> because I know that even though I think I have six hours, I probably don't have six hours. And this is, again, that same thing where maybe this is just the way that my brain works. Maybe this isn't how everyone feels, but there's something that just is so lame about setting a goal or a time block for myself and feeling like I failed at that thing. It doesn't make me feel productive. It makes me feel unproductive. It doesn't make me feel excited to get to work. It makes me feel like I already lost. So I'm just really trying to create schedules and routines and habits for myself that don't make me feel like I've already been set up for failure or like in a state of pre-failure because I haven't gotten that thing done. So if I have six hours that I know I can work with, if I crushed three of those and I set three of those aside for stuff that I wouldn't have otherwise done, and then the other three, they're just normal, that's amazing, right? That's three hours that I feel like I've really succeeded at that I probably wouldn't have succeeded with that vigor otherwise. I'm trying to recognize the way that reality actually seeps into our habits and not fight them because fighting them has just been been a lackluster experience for me. You've got that six hours. Are you recognizing that first thing in the morning and then deciding when the day is getting started what you're going to put in those six hours? Absolutely. It's it's almost like I wish that I well, and I I totally could do this with pen and paper, and I might start doing this. Um, <laughs> do it. Do it. Yeah, with that Midori Traveler's Notebook I have, Yep. you know, they have all these different inserts. And one of them is like a, a vertical weekly planner. It's like a free week, so it doesn't actually coincide with the year. You just write out the days. But it has a, a long vertical column that shows you every hour, you know, from, from morning to night. And the way that it seems like it would fit my brain would be to have basically a bank of things that could be done with those hours. So like I was saying, a hour for creative work, like taking photos, an hour for writing, 
or not even an hour, you know, just a, a time block for these things, a time block for reading or knowledge work or an hour for working on a project, you know, whatever that project might be. And then looking at the actual hours that I have free that day, that moment, not days in advance, not a week in advance, but, oh, I, I think I have a pretty good grip on what today is going to have. And then filling out some of those hours, not all of them, because surely there's going to be something that happens like today when I thought I had more time than I did, but I actually had to make food. <laughs> but there's there's definitely – I mean there, there's there's almost no chance, right, that that entire day is going to get swept up in stuff. I have a pretty good sense of how much time I actually have. You know, my, my wife is currently at work, so she works from um, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. today. So I know that I'm going to have those hours free. And I might want to reserve one or two of those hours for just free stuff like what if a package gets delivered or someone wants to call me on the phone or whatever. But that means that I have a handful of hours that I should really block off and think through. And I don't know. That just has been a really special and very helpful way for me to think through the day. And looking at basically a bank of things to do helps me remember that I have quite a few options. I, I don't know if I would typically think, you know what, I haven't I haven't taken photographs for a while and there's a project that could really use some photographs. I should do that today. If I wasn't thinking, I can pull from this bank of things to time block stuff off for. So it, it's been really helpful to me, but a big part of that has been recognizing that I don't want to set myself up for failure. And I don't know, that just is much more important than I realized it was. I like that you have to set aside like an hour to an hour and a half in case a package is delivered. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, that could be a really good package. You never know what's in that thing. It's true. That, it's... that can that can change a whole day if something good comes. You never know. You never know. So this bank, I assume this sounds like it's a list you've got somewhere. It's a theoretical bank right now. Uh, okay. When I this and this is this is part that came from that morning pages is I realized that I I wished I had a task management system that knew that I wanted to operate from that bank. And I thought about trying to incorporate that into things or into a digital calendar. It doesn't really work out very well. I'm sure that there's a way to do that, but nothing that I could really think through well. But of course, it would work perfect on pen and paper. But yeah, I mean, just thinking through the list, it's not that long. I I don't even think that they have to be super specific. It, super specific works for work projects where, okay, I have this thing that I have to do and I really want to give it a solid hour or longer of working just through this. But I mean, there's just something that's so important. The, the whole point of that time blocking thing is that it's so good to enter into and exit out of a state of mind and feel really accomplished about doing that. So there's a difference between working on a project that's not mine and working on a project that's mine. There's a difference between working on something that feels like work and doing something that feels really creative and life-giving, like writing on something that I'm really passionate about or taking photos or even editing a podcast, thinking through the amount of things that I could do today. Not what I need to do, but what I could do. Again, it's just that subtle difference of when I think through what I could do, I'm much more excited about the possibility of the day than just thinking through what I need to do, which can often feel pretty draining. I'm really glad this topic came up because it's something I've been working on a lot lately. Cool. But the, the beauty of, I think, the, the, I guess, quote unquote, perfect schedule, the, the awesome week that I've put together in my calendar. I'm still grateful I did that. And I've done that process probably 10 to 12 times 
over the last probably four years. And I tend to come away with it from it having similar experiences. One, I always fall through and never do it. <laughs> it never happens. And yet I think I'm going to do it the next time. Maybe I'm insane since that's the definition. <laughs> but I know that the value that comes from it is that it shows me what my day would look like each day of the week if every scenario was perfect. Like that's what it, that's what it shows me. I just wish I would stop putting it in my calendar and just mark it up on a whiteboard or something and then just use that as a base outline to then set up my my week. I love your idea about this bank. I'm probably going to do that because I don't always keep these commitments to myself. That's essentially what it comes down to. And it's partially because the stressors that hit me throughout the day can throw off the priority levels of what I have planned out on the calendar. So I I think what I'm moving more towards, and I haven't fully enacted this yet, so maybe this is a follow-up for next time. But the the thing I want to try is just planning out that day, that morning. Like just, okay, let me look at what's what are my events going on today. Let me look through some of my client stuff, some of my personal projects, and and just nail down what is the most important for me to be working on today. Uh, and then put that on maybe not my digital calendar, but, you know, writing out a, a list of these are the things I'm going to do today and when. And I'm pretty good about judging how long something's going to take. Uh, at the same time, I also know like my code projects, if I don't have an hour and a half to do those, I won't even start it <laughs> just because I don't really have the time to get that deep into it. And it's going to take me an hour and a half to get deep and accomplish something. So it, it's kind of tricky to do that. But that's that's what I'm exploring because I I know that this ideal week that I've got in my calendar just doesn't work. It's the hyper scheduling thing, uh, which I know a lot of people try to do. Some people can do that and it works great for them. And I'm quite jealous of them. But it, it's just something that I've not ever been able to get it to work for me, but wish it could. <laughs> that's the hard thing about productivity as a whole is uh, there is this kind of Man, groupthink isn't the term that I want because that's a little too harsh, but I think you can read a lot about the way that people live and it can make you feel like you need to do that same kind of system. You need to implement that same kind of system. You need to work from a calendar like they do. You need to create goals like they do. And it can be hard because just like we're all so unique in so many areas, I think we're very unique in the way that we actually feel motivated to do the work that we want to do. And this is an area where I'm recognizing that I don't really think anyone has ever talked about the way that my brain works and the habits and systems and all of that that really work for me. And I don't know, it's just, it's really good to start thinking through it from a individual level instead of just what's worked for others. Because so far, it's been much more helpful than anything that I've come across. Well, and your your circumstances change a lot of this as well. Right. Like whenever, when I worked corporate, goals were amazing. Like that was, annual goals were the best thing for me that I, you know, that's that's what I needed. Because the, the company was so large and the department was doing so many different things that it was difficult for me to nail down what is the area I should be working on because I, I was given a lot of freedom in pretty much every role I've been in to to kind of shape it and do things on my own. And so I'm good at that. But those goals, quote, I'll put them in quotes, goals, uh, just because 
they tended to be more like areas of focus more than they were goals. <laughs> we want you to improve something along the lines of data coming into our system. Well, that's more like an area that you should be improving. Like not <laughs> like we're going to increase it by 10%. We never said anything like that. It was just a go work on this area. And that, that was very beneficial to me because I could then take that work on different aspects to improve it. And once it was improved a little bit, move on and do it again uh, in a, in a different subsector of it. So it, it worked out well for me to work in that way in corporate. But now that I'm in a freelance stance, now that I'm in this position, it, it seems like goals just don't fit super well. Right. And it's because you can change the direction of the entire business, you know, overnight, like you can just drop what you've been working on and go to a different sector altogether. And when you have that amount of freedom, it gets hard to, I guess, superficially lock yourself into a given direction without some form of payoff of sorts uh, that could come from it. That's a lot to think on. Well, I hope that you end up finding a, a use for my weird time bank concept. Totally doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we should we should write out our actual lists of what those banks are and and tell each other next time. But I'm a little concerned it's going to be long. Okay, maybe maybe not then. We could try. I need to figure out exactly how I'm going to start looking at this. I, I think maybe just buying that fun little vertical calendar would be a great way of doing it for me. But yeah, it's it's good. I like it a lot. And I think that it just is a, a new helpful way for me to, to think through something. So I'm excited about it. I want to know about collected goodness. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I thought that as soon as I put that <laughs> online somewhere, you'd be you'd be curious about it. You didn't tell me you were going to do this, and then it shows up yeah. out of nowhere, and it seems like you were trying to hide it of sorts. No, 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 I wasn't trying to hide it. I just <laughs> I did soft launch it a bit because I feel like it's not quite done. But at the same time, I had bought the domain like two months ago, pretty shortly after I had started really dabbling in this commonplace book. And I felt like I should just start working on it in the world. So it does exist now. I'm working on a new project called Collected Goodness. It's basically a digital commonplace book where I have, or I will continue to compile a website of all of the commonplace notes that I create and hopefully sort of link them back and forth between notes that I think are relevant to each other. So it's, it's fresh. I only put five. My goal is to, um, oh, my goal. Uh, <laughs> the, the system that I'm planning on, <laughs> nice uh, working through will be just adding five or so every week, which isn't a challenge because I already have a huge backlog. I've been adding commonplace notes at a pretty rapid pace and I don't really think I'll be slowing down. So yeah, it's a, it's a thing. Uh, what do you, what do you think about it? Do you like it? All right. So here's, here's forever the questioner. Uh, okay. Why? Like, <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is what I'm trying to nail down is like, okay, I think, you know, here's, here's my perspective. This, this is, this is Drew, high input, mm -hmm. who, is looking for some way to put data into a system and be able to pull it back out uh, whenever and however you want. Like that's that's what I'm seeing with this, which is cool that you're doing it in public. Like that's that's a cool thing. But is there an, an intended purpose outside of your own ability to search this thing? 
That's a good question. Maybe the best way to talk about it is I recently read a book about this uh, person who had had some pretty traumatic stuff happen in their life. She had actually had a, a tragedy in her life where um, some siblings of, of hers had committed suicide and her father had asked her never to write about it. He had said even more specifically that she couldn't write about it and share it. But her thing was like, why Why do I write about something if not to share it? For her, such a big part of the act of writing itself was in the sharing. And I think a lot of my desire for input and even creativity ends with sharing. And if I can't share it with other people, I don't feel great about it. So yeah, p part of what you said is true. I do love the ability to like have this digital version of my commonplace notes that I can easily search through. And like I had even already alluded to link back and forth between, which I think is a really cool idea. And the way that I'm doing it is I'm just keeping very, very simple notes. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep a constraint where these aren't pages and pages and pages of notes and, and thoughts. It's me just distilling some of the, the things that I loved the most about that creation and then adding a few of my own responses or thoughts to it. So they're, they're very simple in, in the real world. Up to this point, they've taken place on note cards, on index cards, and I've kind of tried to emulate that index card feel with a card-based website, which is pretty cool. Interesting. That's where your design came from. I wondered. Yeah, and an another part of it is that I just want to share it. Like, I have been growing this list of commonplace notes that I've been keeping for myself, and it just feels really weird to me to have them and not share them with other people. Like, I just, I don't like it. It's the same reason why I share my photos on Unsplash, because I took that photo and I want it to be used by other people. If it's not being used, I feel like it's kind of purposeless. So because sharing is such a high value for me, it just made sense to digitize my commonplace book and keep it digital going forward. You know, when I'm looking at this, I can see this is something that I will definitely follow, mostly because it's interesting to see your aggregated sources. So as a consumer of this, like I can see the value in in seeing a lot of this, uh, but I'm not sure that that like because I'm always looking for new sources and, and interesting things that are outside the norm. And this could be an excellent way to do that because it's it's almost like a way, you know, if a lot of people did this, uh, it, it would kind of broaden the horizons of sources that you can find online. And I can see the value in that, but I wasn't so sure that that was your intent with this. It seemed more it seemed more like this is a place for you to collect things uh for your own pur purposes. Is kind of the perspective that I got from it at the beginning, but that's because of the conversations you and I have had right. uh, uh, about you wanting to collect a lot of data and and store a lot of this. That's why I was <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. why I'm asking. Yeah. It definitely scratches both of those itches, but I, I hope that other people like it. And, you know, I was heavily impacted by a book page on Derek Sivers website. He has Sivers.org slash books, I think, where he's basically keeping a running list of every book that he reads and he gives it a review and a quick rating. And then you can actually click through and get his entire book notes. And those are like lengthy and unprocessed and unformatted and, and kind of crazy. But there's something really beneficial about having that insight into someone else's mind. And because I have loved that book page so much, I mean, to the point where if I'm at the library and I don't really have any books that I'm necessarily looking for, I'm just interested in picking up something new. I've often turned to that a book page on Derek Sivers' website and just gone through the books until I see something that interests me 
checked to see if it's at the library, and then gone from there. And so, yeah, this is just that version for myself. I've always kind of wanted to have a page like that. And this is a website dedicated to that concept, but extended out a bit further, not just books, but anything that I have been really impacted by, I'm going to put it on there. And then also one other thing that is is not that big of a deal, but it also is kind of important, is I, I feel like, and this is a whole other conversation that we won't get into at this point, but <laughs> okay. I feel like there's so much negativity online right now. We've talked about that with our, our Twitter feeds and different stuff like that, which by the way, if you think I hate the word content, do I ever hate the word feed? But again, another <laughs> conversation. But yeah, there, there's so much negativity. I just really wanted a place where I could just be very positive. And I have no plans on, you know, talking about how garbage a movie or a book is on collected goodness. That's even reflected in the name. I'm just going to tell you about the stuff that really heavily impacted me in a positive way. And maybe it'll impact you too. Here's a question. Do you think I should do something like this? I've considered some things like this before. I wish the whole world did this, if I'm being honest, because, (laughs) you know, I I think that there's such a benefit to learning about what other people do. And I mean, you you do do this in a way through Bookworm, where I've used that just like I've used Derek Sivers' website of, hmm, what should I read? Oh, well, let's see these books. Oh, hey, this is really interesting. And I even love the way that things get distilled. So... I can look at a book on Bookworm or Derek Sivers' website and say, oh, that's actually all that I needed. That really helped me think through a thing, and I don't need to read the book because I got some information through them in a really unique way. Or, oh my gosh, those concepts sound so amazing. I have to go get this book and read more about it. Uh, and, and for me personally, I just, I'm always looking at different stuff in different mediums. Uh, I saw an article today that was so impactful to me that that is going to go on collected goodness. So it's not just long form material. It's really anything that really, really impacts me. But it's kind of a shame that right now, the way that we do that is on Twitter, because Twitter is so unfriendly for searching and looking back and, and really trying to get a sense of what's been done. So I love seeing projects like this appear, and if you added one, I'd be the first one to follow it, man. Okay. I'll continue considering. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool, cool. Good to know, good to know. Yeah, I'm excited about this particular project. I know I sounded like I was (laughs) going to nail you to the wall on this one, but (laughs) it's a project that I, I find very intriguing because, you know, I as part of uh, a weekly newsletter that I write, I, I try to collect, you know, what I call words that challenge, where it, it's a book, it's a podcast, it's a, a an article, you know, something that is kind of out of the ordinary and and collecting those all into one place. And it's something that I have wondered about creating a uh, an aggregated source for those that that people can go through and search and and get my ideas and thoughts on it. Uh, but I haven't taken the time to put it all together. So whenever I saw that you had put this together and that you were starting down this path, I got very intrigued by it uh, because I know that like I run this paper commonplace book as well, but it, it's something that if I'm honest, I don't reference very often. Interesting. And it, it ends up just being a collection point that I can find what I want in it, but I just don't. And I'm not sure that putting it online would actually help me to find what I want or like inspire me to do that. But it it is intriguing that it would become a place for other people to index and search through 
as well. So I'm very intrigued, definitely considering this. I, I think that commonplace books are such an interesting way of getting insight into not only somebody, but the people and things that influence that person. And I'm happy to start building my own out.